What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host here on this Monday edition of the show. I don't know if you guys know, but there was a pretty doggone important football game on Saturday that took place between the Alabama Crimson Tide, LSU Tigers. Kyle Krabs will join us just a little bit later in the show today, but uh, first I want to lead off with a special guest, Coach Ed Orgeron of the LSU Tigers. Coach, welcome to the show. I'm a dog, Joe. I'll tell you what, man. The tough, tough football games are unbelievable. Everybody, Miles, Utah, and Joe Burrow. Really, just phenomenal. I, I, I really think he locked himself in the Hyman Trophy this year. Uh, the, the toughness that he illustrated, the accuracy with the football, uh, clutch plays, making smart decisions with the football, not taking sacks. Uh, we, and defensively, we just beat the ass. We just beat the ass. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, look, I mean, I think a lot of us were very surprised to see you take this team into Tuscaloosa and win on the road against the Crimson Tide. Coach, what do you think was the main reason for being able to pull off this win? I think we just wanted more than them, Joe. You know, we're battle-tested. We've been playing tough teams all year long. We went into uh, beat Florida. We beat Auburn. Uh, just relentless football team. Uh, we took care of Texas, University of Texas. They ain't back. They thought they was back, but we said, no, you ain't back. Not the way we'll be back. LSU Tigers are back on top. Coach, uh, when you think about the SEC West, a big statement here. Uh, Alabama has won the previous eight games, and LSU was able to stop that streak with a big win. Do you feel like this could be a shifting of the tide here when it comes to dominance in the SEC West? Well, you know, George, all you did there, you're talking about the tide. The Tigers are riding above the tide, and we're just going to beat their ass. Every time we see you, you understand what I'm saying? Roll Tide, no, sir. Well, Coach, I, I, I think we're very thankful for you spending some of your time. I know you're a busy man here with, uh, obviously, a lot of opportunities to talk about this win. Thanks for giving the Draft Dudes podcast uh, some of your time here on this victory Monday for you. Congratulations. Good job. There you have it, folks. Uh, Ed Orgeron, head coach, LSU Tigers, gracious enough to give us a few minutes of his time here on this Monday edition of the show. Had a good time down in Alabama. Got a chance to connect with uh, with some contacts that uh, gave us the opportunity to speak with Coach O. And uh, now that Coach O is gone, we're going to bring in Kyle Krabs. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what I miss? Sorry, sorry, sorry I didn't get here uh, right on time. I know we were really looking – I was really looking forward to talking to Coach O, but uh, – I trust you did a good job, and he gave you some good sound bites for the show, Joe. Yeah, look, you know, I, it's it's one of those things when you get when you get Coach O on the on the program, you've got to be flexible, you know. And, and unfortunately, we couldn't sync up everyone's schedule today, uh, so just uh, just uh, me and Coach O. But uh, you know, maybe next time we can we can have the two of you on on together and and uh, you know see what type of conversation can be generated. But hey, listen, the, the big win, right? Back to football here, you know, it's. It, LSU being able to go and win that football game. I mean, Nick Saban doesn't lose often. He doesn't lose often at home. This is the fifth home loss ever for Nick Saban at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, um, man, we, we saw we saw everything we wanted to see. Points, production from these passing offenses, some defensive standouts, and that's what we're going to focus here on the show today. So I'll give you honors, whatever uh, talking point you want to get into. Yeah, well, you know, the big talking point coming into the game was the quarterbacks and Tua versus Joe Burrow. And I really feel like we come away from this game and for me personally, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like there's any different impressions that I have about either one of these players versus how I felt before this football game, where coming from very different spots before the year, 
uh, continuing to see Joe Burrow just have complete mastery of the offense at LSU and finding soft spaces. And as that game wore on, he did a good job beating the blitz with the ball, and he really worked the middle of the field. He took advantage of some inexperience at the linebacker position on the second level for Alabama, kind of manipulated those guys. Um, and, and Tua Tunga Viola was a little rusty to start the game, but after the first quarter, uh, that that offense really took off with the exception of that interception that Tua throw, threw. And you leaned over to me when we're watching the game in the stadium, and you said, Tua, that's, Tua, every interception Tua has ever thrown, that's the exact same throw that he's, that he's made. So... Nothing new as far as new information. Uh, what a blast of a football game. Both these guys averaging over 10 yards at completion. And uh, I think Joe Burrow locked in the Heisman. I think Joe Burrow really ha- has positioned himself now. Go on to the Senior Bowl, work with the, the coaching staff, presumably the Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins. I think Joe Burrow's on his way to being the number one pick in the NFL draft. Well, I think you make a good point there in that we didn't necessarily learn anything new about either quarterback. But for Joe Burrow in particular... Uh, to continue to solidify that resume after a 2018 season that didn't move the needle for anyone, right? We, we were told about this promising new quarterback, looked better than what we're used to seeing at LSU, but at the end of the day, didn't really move the needle, kind of a middling prospect. And while he did have three top 10 wins under his belt where he played extremely well, completing a high percentage of, of his passes, for him to be able to replicate that at Brian Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa against Alabama, I mean, I think that really kind of more than anything validates the player that we have saw all year on tape. And uh, I, I just feel like if there was any doubt that you wanted to see it consistently or that he had a bigger resume, I think him being the same player that he's been all year long in that moment is important. And he met that moment, right? That's as big of a moment in college football that will exist all year. And for him to... I mean, the first drive, it was boom, 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 dart, 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 touchdown, challenging man coverage, showing that same mastery of pre-snap reads, being accurate at the football. He showed some athleticism with his wheels, uh, creating some plays with his feet, and uh, just <laughs> just really checking all those boxes. And uh, we, we went into this year, it was it was a Herbert Tua conversation. It's it's a Burrow Tua conversation, and Burrow played great. Well, unless you're going to ask Mike Tannenbaum what he thinks about the situation. Mike Tannenbaum went on uh, Goal Lake and Wingo this morning and said he would favor Justin Herbert as his QB1 over both Joe Burrow and Tua Tungo Viola because he's built for durability. Never mind the fact that at spring weigh-ins last year, Tua was 230 pounds, and Joe Burrow is six foot four, 215 pounds, with some room to grow without compromising his athletic ability. So... Don't let some of the, those generic narratives lull you to sleep with this quarterback class. That's not to say Justin Herbert can't be a good quarterback. I think he can be a good quarterback. But to, to prioritize him based on his size is some pretty old-school type thinking. And, and I think that's the kind of thinking that we're seeing more and more with the success of guys like Lamar Jackson and, and some of the accomplishments we've seen from Kyler Murray already this year. We'd probably be well off just kind of discarding that school of thinking because it's it's a little antiquated. Thinking about some different positions here, um, man, these running backs both played good. Najee Harris for Alabama, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for LSU, uh, both over 100 yards rushing. Uh, Edwards-Hilaire, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Harris had the uh, the receiving touchdown as well as a rushing touchdown, really showing a versatile skill set. Harris has done that all year. I thought it really took shape in the South Carolina game where he was featured in the passing game. We we saw it again against LSU, just making a, a big play, going up and getting the football in a contested situation. You thought he was a receiver on that play. And 
for a guy that I don't think has the most juice, uh, big physical back, but you wonder about his his real explosive ability to be able to have some comfort with him as a pass catcher in addition to the style of runner that he is, I think is important for his uh, evaluation. And then, you know, Edwards Alaire, a, a guy that, you know, I don't think he's dynamic in terms of physical traits, but goodness, he has nice contact balance and his vision is really, really clean. I love the way he sees the field. And um, he, he is the focal point of that rushing attack. You know if they're going to run the football, it's through him, and he's been that guy for them all year. And to do it against Alabama really continues to validate what we've seen all year on film from him. Well, I thought Alabama, by and large, did a nice job in this football game of tackling, uh, with the exception of when it came to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, uh, I thought Xavier McKinney, who was a big X factor for this football game, Joe, he was a name that we talked about during the live show that we did uh, before kickoff, uh, we referenced Xavier McKinney as kind of a mismatch piece, and not not to deflect your conversation piece here about the backs, but that was the biggest takeaway for me in this game is Xavier McKinney. You put this game this game tapes right atop your resume when it's all said and done. You're ready to go to the NFL. Tell him to watch LSU 2019 first because he was a man possessed. He had one missed tackle uh, that was kind of egregious. He had a, a, an open field opportunity to challenge. Uh, and did not finish that play. But other than that, you saw a lot of the versatility where they had him up deep safety, they had him in the box, they played him in the nick, nickel linebacker, uh, and he was playing the game with Joe Burrow, right? Because Joe Burrow is so much pre-snap, kind of that quote-unquote whack-a-mole mentality, where are they, where are they going to be, where's the ball going to go? And he started playing the game, and they had the opportunity there with McKinney to, to really make some impact plays, and I loved him coming downhill in the line of scrimmage. So for a guy for me who hasn't lived up to the expectations that I had of him coming into this year where I was very high on him and and have kind of been lukewarm on him watching him in 2019, this was the Xavier McKinney I expected to see throughout the 2019 season. He finished the game with 13 tackles, two sacks, two and a half tackles for loss, and an additional QB hurry. You know, it's weird that we're going to hype up uh, Alabama defensive players, but I think there was another one that actually had a resume game, and that's Anthony Jennings, uh, who's having a good year, man. Uh, he's battled some injuries, but he's really savvy within the scheme, and in, in this game I thought was another example of his overall skill set. Uh, for the game, he winds up having eight tackles, two tackles for loss, two sacks, and a QB hurry. And um, you, you watch him, and you don't necessarily feel like you're seeing the most dynamic athlete, but this guy just keeps making plays. He's one of those guys with good length, with heavy hands, knows how to use them, knows how to clear contact, and takes good angles to the football. And for a team, I think, that's looking for uh, maybe a guy that can be a 3-4 outside linebacker, uh, maybe could be a base end and a 4-3, uh, do some different things for you. The way that he's able to impact the pocket by really collapsing it and compromising the width is really exciting. And those those teams that value heavy-handed dudes that really stay in their rush lanes and really suffocate the pocket, you know, the Belichick disciples, as I like to call them, they're going to like Jennings. And, and I know that it wasn't a, a resume game for the Alabama defense, but McKinney and Jennings, I think, should be really proud of the way that they played. And I thought it was one of those types of games for both of those guys where it, it really did move the needle in terms of their perception in the NFL draft landscape. And it's funny you mentioned we're talking about defensive prospects in a game that had 87 points between the two teams and was uh, 46 to 41 final score. But uh, remember, LSU beneficiary that turnover before halftime, um, the 
Thaddeus Moss catch yeah. that I know a lot of Alabama folks were fired up about. Everybody in the stadium's throwing their hands in the air. They can't understand. He stepped out of bounds. They they don't get the context that he reestablished himself in bounds. Um, so th- this game was very close to being di- uh, a different final outcome, especially when you consider Tua Tonga Viola in the opening possession for Alabama fumbled the football untouched, just dropped the ball, looking to switch the ball into his uh, outside arm as a, as a ball carrier. Um, I want to stay on defensive side for the last one for me uh, of a guy I have to talk about. And that's Caleb on chase on uh, who gave Alex Leatherwood fits in this football game of uh, uh, the versatility um, Chase on took to social media after the game and said, don't call me a pass rusher. I'm a defensive playmaker, difference maker. And uh, I love that, that he spoke up. He had three and a half tackles for loss in this game. Really did not make the difference as a pass rusher, uh, which I was hoping to see probably a little bit more from him in that regard so far this season. Uh, but this is a game for him against another potential top 50 pick in Alex Leatherwood. Jason really gained the business for a lot of the game as far as his instincts and short area quickness and crashing down. So we have a couple of guys like this. Uh, he, he's much more versatile than a Uter Gross Matos who kind of has the same strengths and weaknesses as more of a penetration style player. But he really helped himself in this game because you saw just how much of an impact he was able to have with three and a half tackles for loss without being a guy that was a consistent presence off the edge as a pass rusher. You mentioned Chason and and the fact that he's a defensive difference maker, but not necessarily an extremely polished pass rusher, although he has every trait you would ever want in terms of being a dynamic pass rusher. It's interesting that he's not polished in that area. It reminded me of Charles Snowden from Virginia, a guy with great physical tools that you look at him and say, that's a guy that can really rush the passer. Well, he's got all the ability to do that, but he's a lot more. It's a guy that can affect throwing windows with his length when you drop him in zone. It's a guy that can win out in space when you work him out towards the sideline. And, of course, the additional layer of rushing the passer. And think about the way this the, the game is evolving. These are the types of defensive playmakers that I think are going to be really valuable moving forward. So different types of guys, not super polished in terms of that pass rush. But they can do a lot of different things, and I think that can be a part of what they do. we got to talk about some receivers, man. Devonta Smith for Alabama, seven receptions, 213 yards, two touchdowns. And we, we talk about Judy, we talk about Ruggs, we talk about Waddle, who's not even eligible, to next year. But, but Devonta Smith's the one that's going out there putting in these monster performances, and I think we've got to take him seriously. I don't think he's got the same juice as any of those three other Bama receivers, but in terms of being a detail, the route runner, being really good tracking the football and, and competing for it, he's a technician at receiver, and, and that leads to very explosive plays. I know Tua probably helps him a lot with his ball placement. They have a really good chemistry built up. But Devonta Smith is the guy I think we continue to overlook a little bit in this Alabama wide receiver discussion. I don't think he's the type of prospect any of those other guys are, but a solid mid-round guy that may wind up just being a, a, a really good pro that – we wonder, yeah, we, we probably overthought that. This is a really good player. Well, you think about the Ole Miss game. He had 11 catches for 274 yards and five touchdowns. <laughs> and then he goes out and he, against LSU, has seven catches for 213 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he has 50 receptions for 934 yards and 11 touchdowns on the year through nine games. And that's including one game with a backup quarterback against Arkansas, uh, which was one of his less productive games uh, of the season, the two weeks before they played Arkansas. And I agree with you, Joe, that he's kind of a forgotten man in terms of you've got Jerry Judy, who I thought had a good showing, even though he misplayed two separate balls that he could have very easily dropped that were on the money from Tua. Uh, 
Henry Ruggs, who is the absolute burner. And uh, even on the other side of the field, uh, Jamar Chase, I thought, was another premier guy who's not eligible for this year's draft class. But if you talked about the wide receivers in this game, it started with those three. And here it is, Devonta Smith, the one that goes off for seven catches for 200-plus yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I agree with you. He's rock-solid, smooth, good ball skills. I like that he could play some inside and outside. You saw him kind of give Derek Stingley the business throughout the course of this game. The first big, big play that Stingley gave up, uh, Stingley's not set. They're making a check on the line of scrimmage at the snap. Uh, but the 85-yard touchdown, I think it was there, with a minute and a half left as all the Alabama fans are rolling out. And then you see everybody kind of freezing their tracks on the staircases as they're like, do we keep walking? We don't know how to lose. What like should we? Are they going to win now? Uh, you know, he showed a little bit of fight on a vertical stem and stacked them vertically and showed with some hand fighting the ability to separate from Stingley. He's one of the best corners in football this year. So, uh, yeah, a really, really impressive performance from Devonta Smith. Uh, one guy I want to get to here is Trayvon Diggs, cornerback for Alabama. There was a very deliberate attempt by Joe Burrow and his weapons to go after Diggs, whether it was challenging him in coverage uh, and also giving him situations where he had to be the guy that made the tackle. And Diggs is a guy that I've loved all year. I think he's had a great year. I don't think this was his best game. And it's it's a little bit concerning because the things I loved about Diggs going into this game was his physicality, was his alpha mentality, how he competed. And I'm not saying he didn't do those things. He just didn't win very much against LSU. And, um, you know, he's a guy that I think we – he was a number three cornerback on our consensus board for the draft network going into the game. He's a guy that I want to, you know, really break this game tape down, spend some time looking at it and seeing if it's – uh, just a bad matchup, didn't work out that game, or if there's some bigger warts on his game tape that I need to pay attention to. But he didn't quite respond to this challenge quite like I was hoping to, and obviously as evidenced by the games that Joe Burrow had and obviously the overall performance of the LSU offense. Kind of to your point here as far as Diggs, uh, I really like the, the trap coverage that Alabama ran, that Diggs actually logged an interception on LSU's first possession uh, that got negated by a penalty and uh, to Joe Burrow's credit, he did not make that same mistake again. He kind of floated that ball up there. Diggs had uh, good awareness to drop off of his initial uh, landmark sink underneath the throw and undercut the throw. Uh, but from then on, it was, all right, game on. You know, we're, we're going to go right at Trayvon Diggs and uh, some disappointing opportunities as a tackler, as you said. Uh, he's an, he, all tools. And I certainly expected to see a little bit more of a polished performance from him than the one that we got. Uh, some of that to the credit of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's 5'8", 210 pounds, who win, won that leverage battle on the perimeter anytime he got outside and, and the Bama defensive backs were challenged with trying to tackle him. As they, just, they could not get around his legs and stop his legs from churning. So, uh, again, same thing with you as far as wanting to really dig in here and get more context as kind of what the hell happened here. Uh, another name that I did want to kind of shout out a little bit, I wanted to talk about Terrell Lewis from Alabama, who was kind of the more hot of the two names of the Alabama pass rushers coming into this game. From a tools perspective, really impressive. Uh, I know that there's some durability and injury red flags there. He had three quarterback hurries in this game. I thought he was outshined pretty significantly by Anthony Jennings as a, a lesser tools type player. 
Uh, Jennings really had a strong showing where Lewis was tenacious. You could see some of the straight line explosiveness and athleticism that he had. But he's a guy I think is still kind of battling for where he's going to fall on people's boards, where Jennings is kind of, you kind of make the, you conceive the fact that the the athletic ability might not necessarily be where it needs to be for a top-end player in the draft. Some people think that can be Terrell Lewis. And if that was going to be the case, would have liked to have seen, uh, I don't want to say a better showing than what he had, but I would have liked to have seen him finish some of the opportunities that he had within the pocket to make some splash plays because if Alabama was going to win this game, they needed to get LSU behind the sticks, and it just seemed like they could never do it. So, Ter- so Terrell Lewis, not throwing any blame at his feet, but as a guy who had a lot to gain with a strong performance, maybe didn't necessarily have the dominating showing that you would have liked to have seen to buy into some of the hype that he's getting right now. Kyle, let's uh, finish out today's show with some big-picture implications, right? Uh, uh, both teams are 8-0 going in. Uh, LSU is now 9-0. The Tide is 8-1. I don't think it's a kiss of death for Alabama. If, if they win out, if they beat Auburn, they finish the season 11-1, they're going to be in pretty good shape. It, 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 obviously, they'd love the chance to go to the SEC Championship, beat Georgia, pad their resume, get in. But at the end of the day, they're going to be able to say, as a one-loss team, we lost by four to LSU, or five by LSU. Everybody knows I'm not a math guy. It, LSU, obviously, in the driver's seat, they're in good shape. Not the kiss of death of Alabama when it comes to the college football playoffs. The problem for Alabama is not having a resume win. The good news for Alabama is the rest of the college football playoff as far as even if you throw Clemson in there at the three spot, the four down is pretty soft. You're going to get it sorted out between Minnesota, Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State, Penn State still have to play each other. Ohio State obviously being one of those two teams in the driver's seat. Uh, If Georgia comes out and wins the SEC championship, and then you've got a one-loss Georgia team, a one-loss LSU team, and a one-loss Alabama team, good luck trying to figure that out because that's where there'd be some real chaos. And I think based on the college football playoff positioning that we saw last week, the AP that we see this week, LSU's just got to take care of business because if LSU loses, it's mass chaos all around. Let's say LSU wins out. Clemson wins out. Ohio State wins out. There's three spots. We're good, right? It's over with. You got one loss, Alabama. You've got a one loss, Oregon or Utah as as a Pac-12 champion. You have a one loss, Oklahoma as a Big 12 champion. There's going to be some, some pitchforks and some pissed off people. But these are the decisions that, I mean, that's not an unrealistic situation. Chaos is fun, right? But I feel feel like we're going to have a situation where we're going to have maybe three or more teams with one loss that are going to be vying for that number four spot. Sorting that out is going to be really difficult. Alabama needs to really take care of business against Auburn. Because I'm not sure, like, going into this game, LSU, three top ten wins. They now have four top ten wins. The best win Alabama had was against Texas A&M, number 24 at the time, unranked now. They're not going to have that great of a resume. It's the eyeball test. I don't know. It's, it's, are they going to go with the, with, the, with the conference champion, power five conference champion with one loss? Fascinating. This is what makes college football a lot of fun. 
Well, and then you get into if it's a one-loss Auburn team, they lost or one-loss Oregon team, they lost to Auburn, who Alabama would hy- hypothetically beat in this situation. We didn't even talk about potentially Minnesota, who's nine and zero right now, playing against. They play Ohio State. Or, they will at some point, either either in the regular. Are they or, are they in the same division though? I think they are. So then they won't play each other. They have to in the regular season, right? They don't have to. No, that's what I mean. I think so. So Minnesota is another team that has has a claim to this. So we've already outlined like seven or eight teams who are going to have the opportunity to have one or zero losses. Joe, my producer, is pulling up the Minnesota Golden Gopher schedule. They do not play. Are they in the Big Ten East or the Big Ten West? They're in the West. So they okay. So they would play Ohio State. What if they lose by six points to Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game? And what about Baylor? <laughs> Stop trying to make Baylor a thing. It's not gonna They're be undefeated like Minnesota. What if they beat Oklahoma? I don't care. The games will decide everything. We got a lot left to play, so make sure you come back. Listen to the draft dudes and find out all of what there is to look forward to uh, with the college football playoff, the bowl season coming up, the NFL draft, uh, the NFL itself. Uh, Joe, I guess we'll find some time on Wednesday probably to dig into a little bit. Nah, there's nothing to talk about from this weekend. No, definitely nobody's on a victory Monday today or anything like that. That's why I miss Coach O. I was out here celebrating the Dolphins winning two games in a row, man. Wow. And they fa- Bill's, Bill's Dolphins week again here, so... Uh... I'm scared. Go Bills. That's all I have to say at this <laughs> point. You know, I've had my fun. We won a couple games, but let's let's not get too crazy, Miami. We still got drafted quarterback. So, uh, takes on takes tomorrow. Come back and see us. Thanks as always for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast. Any hot takes that you have, send them to at the Joe Marino or at Grinding the Tape.